Well, we are here. This is actually, right now, this is our bedroom. Yes. And we have, for several years, been sleeping kind of on the floor, but, you know, we have some dignity. We're on a tatami mat, and that's because one of the first really great experiences I had of, of, a, of a sense of peace um, was kind of being prayerful in the 22nd floor of a, an apartment in Japan. And I realized I had been so restless and tossing and turning. And then I slept on the floor, and I felt great. Mm-hmm. Now, eventually, if you, if you ever try this, after the first few days, it, oh, I, it gets to be a little painful. So at first, yeah, it's kind of like if you're camping, you know, and sometimes you find, find those like aches and pains on your side. I sleep on my side a lot. So mm-hmm. that was, it took me a while to get used to it, but now I don't get those pains anymore. What it does is it allows us to kind of come up and down. So we're kind of constantly moving. Mm-hmm. And then once your body adjusts to it, it's hard to go back. Yeah. Because we're, you know, it's almost like doing yoga all through the night. You're kind of stretching out. The, the different muscles and ligaments and things. Right. And, and when, I, when I'm when i at a hotel bed now, my back hurts after. <laughs> sometimes. Although sometimes it's a treat. Yeah, well, of course. And we have yeah. a happy medium in the RV camper. We've got just the mattress topper. And that's also a way to go. And it's not for everybody, but if you ever want to try it, one of the things that's nice about it is you can put one of those toppers just on this tatami mat on the bamboo. You can also raise it up a little higher so it doesn't look like you're sleeping on the floor. <laughs> but we don't care because anyway. we can also, it can double as a place to, to do your yoga and, and other things. Now, check this out, especially if a smaller room. This actually does tie into today's topic, which is a tricky one, a provocative title, Hate Your Parents. To kind of get us started, I want to illustrate that with this. Mm-hmm. My parents sleep in a regular bed. Part of what we're going to say that Jesus is really about is... Being able to question those long-standing cultural practices mm-hmm. and maybe make some adjustments, maybe change your mind about how one ought to sleep. Yeah, and maybe it's not right for everybody, but it it is sometimes the case that it's good for us to to try things out and try to do it differently. But you were you were talking about how you know as we're recording, this is kind of a tricky tricky topic. Yeah, well, and especially because right now. With the coronavirus, and we know that a lot of the vulnerable population, the elderly, um, you know, might end up in the hospital or, or having, you know, worse effects. So it's kind of thinking, oh, it's kind of a bad time to say, you know, hate your, hate your parents for yeah. those of you that have parents that are older or in that vulnerable population. And so I seemed almost like it would come across as maybe disrespectful during this time. But I think it's a super important topic because it doesn't apply just to parents. It's more than that. And as we'll get into it, we'll explain. Mm. Um, And and it's not about not loving or not taking care of your parents or being unkind in any way. That is not at all what we're saying here. In fact, that would be the opposite message of what Jesus is trying to say. There's a little bit more of the respect for those that are still considered productive um, right. in part of the workforce. And so once you retire or whatever, then maybe you've, you know, sometimes you're treated as if you've lost a little bit of your value mm. to the society, which... Such a is, transactional... It, and it's so shame. It's, it's just shameworthy. Like, it's just yeah. so sad yeah. that we do that. Um, but anyway, so... So that's not what we're talking no. about. In <laughs> fact, um, you know, you do biblically want to... Wanna, we want to honor our parents mm-hmm. ethically, our neighbors are everybody, and that includes the elderly, our actual parents, other folks that we respect. But this is actually not an incidental topic. It really is the centerpiece of the whole study. And it's the study that usually gets me in trouble. So, you know, I've done 
we've, <laughs> we've done these talks before. Well, and often you'll be invited to youth gatherings, mm-hmm. and then when um, the parents or the leaders hear that you're you're saying hate your parents, um, and if that's if that's the only message that comes back home to the parents, then <laughs> they're, it's tricky. They're wondering what did you learn, you know? And obviously that was taken out of context. Well, that's what I used to think, but the more the more I've done these um, talks, well, that's true. I'm starting to realize people that, don't want you to think. Yeah, if yourself. you take this seriously, this is the thing that can come and dismantle unhealthy religions. This is precisely the study that kind of turned us on to this idea that we wanted to do a Bible study that was counterintuitive, and it gave people the kind of agency they need to make really difficult decisions for themselves and uh, culturally speaking, Mm -hmm. not just in your family, but cultures in general have a very difficult time with this teaching from Jesus. Yeah. Why don't you go right to the text? Yeah. So, we're talking about Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 26, and it says, massive crowds traveled along with their rabbi Jesus. Turning to the throng, he said, if anyone comes to me but doesn't hate their father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, they are unable to be my follower. Mm. Well, there you go. Yes. That's a cult leader if I ever heard one, right? I mean, that's what it sounds like. It sounds yeah. like, hey, you know, a lot of those cults in the 60s and 70s, they would separate people out mm-hmm. from their families. They would like They would get them you know, at a camp or a commune or something where they didn't have any contact with the outside world and they were manipulated in that way. Yeah. Well, and, and sometimes if you choose to, you know, move outside of that cult environment or whatever, if you're ever able to get away, then the uh, the families that are still inside are told to disown them. Um, and that's completely tried. It's been, a, you know, it's a very manipulative tool that yeah. has been used for very long time. A relative of mine was in one of these cult groups that, in fact, had labeled um, uh, somebody in the family, their their spouse, and a suppressive person, a mm-hmm. person that was getting in the way of their spiritual development, and they were forced to get a divorce and mm-hmm. then and then separate. Now, fortunately, they got back together, but um, and and left that that group. But that's a that's a real hard thing, and that practice of disconnection is a tool that immoral groups will use. And so you got to be very careful with this with Jesus. Yeah, so the but some of the main points um and we'll go into this a little further throughout this podcast um is that obviously as we mentioned before Jesus does tell us that we need that we we love everyone, right? Right. And it's also unconditionally. <laughs> unconditionally and it's also good for us to seek wise counsel, right? From people mm-hmm. that are older than us, more experienced and that kind of thing. But basically Jesus is teaching us here that we are to seek what is true and beautiful and and good, right? Even if it goes against what some of our other authority figures uh, might say. That's it. Yeah. That's the key. And it sounds easy. And in fact, this, this subject, this study is kind of simple. In mm. one sense, it's really hard to hear, but it's easy to understand. Yeah. Jesus is saying that if you need to disregard the the structures of authority in your life, your parental authority being one of the most important in the ancient world, if you need to disregard the uh, shame that you're going to bring to the family because you're not fitting with the, the Babylon system, if you're not you know playing ball with the system, <clears throat> that's going to be something that people will intuitively want to stop and shut down. And so for the sake, like you said, the sake of goodness, truth, and beauty for 
the, for the sake of conscience, following mm. your conscience, this is an important text. In as, fact, one of the most important, I yeah. think. And one of the things that you've been saying is you should think what you think you should think. You should believe what you believe you should believe. And you should do what you think you should do. Yeah. That makes people nervous sometimes because <laughs> they think it means do whatever you want. Yeah, free for all. <laughs> no. And that's not it at it all. It means that you, you have agency. You are responsible, especially as you become an adult. You're responsible not to let other people do you're thinking for you. Right. Now, they might be wrong. You might be wrong. But you have at least the opportunity to second-guess yourself, to check your assumptions, to check your biases. And you can try to be honest with yourself. It's hard. Sometimes it's easier, though, to be honest with ourselves or to investigate our own thought processes than it is for us to really understand what somebody else is trying to do. And maybe the, what they're trying to do right. is control us. And. And again, you know, in, with doing the end-of-life work, one of the most regrettable things that people claim is that they didn't live their life the way that they wanted to, that they were listening to other people and trying to please them rather than what they, how they wanted to live. And they regret that. That's their number one regret at the end of life. And, they lived someone else's story. Yeah, which is tragic. Um, how does, like... I know that obviously in the Western culture, we definitely prize individuality. And so it kind of sometimes doesn't make as much sense. But can you compare uh, like the basically the Near Eastern society versus the Western culture? Yeah. I mean, certainly Near Eastern, ancient Near Eastern society is going to have a heavy emphasis on these family relations. But it's not like the loving nuclear family as we think of it. It has to do with being owned essentially. Children are seen in the ancient world as property. So, for instance, in Hammurabi's code, a famous law code, the oldest one we have, it, it'll say really th strange things. Um, Hammurabi's code is trying to bring justice to the world, and it's probably an improvement on older cultural norms. But it basically says, you know, if, um, if, if you kill somebody's daughter... Uh, then the punishment is they get to kill your daughter. Right. <laughs> because, and I'm not laughing at it, I'm saying like how, how obscene. But the answer is... Eye for an eye. It's eye for an eye, and the daughter is like your your property, right? Yeah. So your stuff. It it was not necessarily the case that people saw people's other people's children, especially non-adult children, as worthy of their own dignity and personhood, but rather what they could contribute to the family legacy. And secondly, it was really important for everybody that that legacy be respected because if, if you disrespect somebody else, you know, if somebody else is disrespecting their dad, that's going to cause people to be a little uncomfortable, but maybe they're going to get re disrespected. Mm -hmm. And this is why, you know, sometimes if I'm wearing my silly Oaxacan shorts <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the Rite Aid, for instance, um, sometimes there'll be people that get angry at me. And, I, and I'm wondering, why are you angry at me for the way I'm dressed? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. the, and the answer is they want the world to be a certain way, to be predictable, to be um, controlled. And if I dress any which way I like, maybe their kids will dress any mm -hmm. which way they like. And I'm a bad influence corrupting the youth. And so... Well, and it's also a very visible sign that yes. you aren't following sort of the, the norm in society mm -hmm. by doing it. Um, so you're somebody that is willing to go outside the system, mm -hmm. which they is often frowned upon, right? Yeah, then it's a bold move. They don't have control over you if that's right. what 
if that, if you're if you're willing to think on your own and dress how you want rather than conforming. I guess the point is that when Jesus says this, again, this isn't just some difficult thing that Jesus says and we have to kind of ignore it or, you know, I, I think a lot of people will look at it and say the original term has to do with loving something less. And this is true. Um, the word hate here could mean something more like, you know, uh, give status and preference to the teachings of Jesus rather than this other traditional set of guidelines. Mm-hmm. That's true. But it also uh, has to do with this idea of renouncing those ties that are on you, right? right? So, if if your parents are bringing you down, if, if any member of your family is causing you not to fulfill with integrity what you think your calling in life is, or mm-hmm. callings, then you have to be willing to renounce that, to to break it off. We mentioned, I think it was last week, a friend from Japan who had um, a difficult time, even though she believed in Christianity, she had a difficult time going through and getting baptized because that was like hating her parents. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, that's how her parents, traditional Japanese parents, thought of her baptism. Yeah. They would have said, why do you hate your mom? That's what Jesus is talking about. Why do you hate your mother that you would go get baptized? Well, Why would you hate your mother that you go marry a, a Methodist or something? Well, and, <laughs> and baptism itself. I mean, it is definitely saying that you aren't going with the yeah. common culture, right? Of the, the way the yep. world works. It's, it's, yep. You're underneath a whole different system. A new mm. logic is like <laughs> we often like to refer to it as. But it could be Asia, it could be Africa, it could be medieval Europe, it could be, of course, it is, the, the, the Near East. It's in these contexts that we see that Jesus' teaching is radical. The reason it's hard for us to see this in America is we already think that we should be free and independent, and I don't need my dad telling me what to do, you're not the boss of me. Right. We're going to do our own rugged thing. So we don't, we don't think of it that way, but we do think of Christianity often as the group of people in society that want you to obey your pops, <laughs> right? Like right. In, in traditional American society, in conservative American society, there's this connection between um, the patriarchy, the, 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 the very serious system of subordination within a family right. and conservative Christianity, people who claim to follow Jesus. Right. If you look at Jesus closely enough, he is going to dismantle that assumption. Yeah, and I think one of the other things too is something that is very real in our society is that we often, a lot of, at least it's been our experience with the kids that we've come in contact with, young adults, that they often just sort of have followed their parents' version of Christianity or religion in general without owning it, without actually, you know, making decisions on their own, they'll just assume that they are going to believe what their parents have believed or go to the churches that their parents have taught them to go to. Sometimes that has been to their detriment, especially when there has been unhealthy, you know, leaders within their church community or, you know, or, or just the, even the congregation members themselves have, can wreak mm. havoc on, on a person sometimes, right? They, yeah. Sometimes like the abuse doesn't necessarily, or the, the bad things doesn't have to necessarily come from the leader themselves, right? Right. And, People within the system, you know, th- thinking that they have that upper hand on you in terms of power. Yeah. And, that's pa- the and parents will do that to children, right? All the time. Do, do what I say because I say so. And, 
And we've said a long time on the show since the beginning, that sounds like it's not the worst. It is a really terrible way to go. Now, there are times when you say, I am going to explain to you later, or I don't have time to explain it. But by and large, if, you're, if your general style of parenting is to say, the reason you behave or the reason that you do what I say is because I said it. That's a dangerous, dangerous move. If you say the reason you should trust me is because I love you unconditionally and I'm the one person in your life that I'm telling you has got your best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. That would be a good move, mm-hmm. right? right? Why should I do what you say? Because I, I love you. Yeah. And I want your best. That's a good answer. Because I said so, <laughs> that's not necessarily... But, and also, if you truly are doing it because you love them, then you will listen to them when they say... but. If you really do love me, then hear me out because yeah. I have these concerns or these issues with what you're saying or this isn't working for me, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if then if somebody can come to you with that, I think you owe them the respect of hearing them out and seeing if that if what they're saying actually, you know, might make some changes in how you're thinking. I think that's an important point. One of the things that Sometimes, like, obviously, it's hard um, to do what Jesus is asking, because if you, are, if you are walking, <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's an understatement. But you're, you're basically, if you sometimes are doing these things and following what you think you need to follow, you will face disapproval. You will face sometimes shame from people within either your community or your homes. Uh, you know, this all the time, like, where parents have a certain expectation of you or whatever, and maybe we'll choose to stop even helping you out financially. If you, you know, when you're a a college student, there's so much of that. Like if you don't major in X, Y, or Z, see it every year, then you're on your own. And then sometimes these students start to get down these career paths and, and spend all this money on education for a field that they're never really going to ever enjoy. And sometimes don't even end up pursuing because they're so miserable doing it. Yeah. And it's a shame. You know, it's a shame to have that wasted time of education, all that waste of money. <laughs> it is a colossal tragedy, <laughs> yeah. a colossal tragedy. And what's interesting about it is that what we're saying is not new. This message isn't new. It's actually the message of some of the greatest literature in in society. And you Well, think of Romeo and Juliet, right? Right. The star-crossed lovers, what's the problem? They've got to find love despite the tragedy, right, of their family being against this. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, sh- there's Shrek. Now, let's go to Shrek <laughs> just because that kind of encapsulates a lot of the other fairy tale stuff. But it's that classic fairy tale where there's this crummy political arrangement that needs to take place, and the daughter is going to have to go to this cruel, disgusting dude. I yeah. mean, I, I love teaching history. But what I don't like to think about sometimes is the way in which for millennia, women have essentially been property and didn't really get to choose who they married. They were going to marry somebody that was good for dad and good for the family and good for the wealth of the family, good for the political alliances. This is not that far off from um, – like human trafficking, for goodness sake. Yeah. And it's been the norm. So when Jesus comes in, he says no to this. You are your own. Your body is your own. Your sexuality is your own. Your beliefs are your own. Your path is your own. And yet, this isn't to disconnect us from others. We're still deeply connected to our communities and to our friends and to those that we love. 
It's just that there's this question of agency. And Jesus is giving permission to the princesses of the Disney movies or whatever, the Pixar movies, to marry who they need to marry. Yeah. Because the alternative is, friends, <laughs> you know, if you don't, then what's going to happen is you hand somebody off to a new spouse or, you know, the, the dad hands, hands people off to, the, you know, the husband and never once in traditional society is this poor young woman ever her own person. Yeah. They so, go from, from yeah, one so to the other. Let's expand on that just yeah. a little bit because, yeah, in, in wedding ceremonies, there's often that mm. tradition. Um, we actually even did it ourselves in our own wedding, we right? We sure did, yeah, sure. Where my dad walked me down the aisle and then my dad handed my hand over to you. Mm-hmm. And what did, he, what did he say about it later at the... Uh, the, uh, <laughs> oh gosh, he said it was like handing over a Stradivarius to a chimpanzee. <laughs> I don't think that was very kind. I'm so I sorry. I don't know. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> I took it as a joke. But this, but but, but this is a so it's, this it's, heavy it's if, moment. Yeah, we're here, and it. The scary thing about it is, it's kind of like I'm my dad's property, mm-hmm. and then now. You, she is your property, and mm-hmm. that, that's kind of the the veiled message in there. Maybe not mm-hmm. so veiled, but that's what's kind of going on without us really thinking about it. If um, mm-hmm. I think you have a, an advice that you often, you know, offer. Yeah, to- I don't think it's hard and fast. In other words, if you like your traditions, go ahead, say to love and obey, do your thing, have at it. You know, that's a, that's marital kink, right? Like I'm going to obey you, and you know, and that's fine. And if it's old timey and you like it. But at the same time, I think that our wedding services say a lot about our values and our expectations and some of these basic principles. And yeah. so, you know, one of the things that happens is you, as a dude, you know, you, you ask the father's, for the father's hand in marriage. Mm-hmm. This goes back to this old negotiation where I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, essentially pay a dowry for the property, you, the breeder, the baby maker, that's what mm-hmm. I'm looking for, right? I'm looking for that and then the family connections, whatever. Um, it was funny. We mentioned last time uh, Knox. Mm-hmm. Knox, uh, she's the one, by the way, who, who kind of clued us into this very idea that hating your parents in American culture sounds really yucky. Yeah. But she had to, to separate herself out from her father who practiced Yoruba traditional African religion and was insulted by this. And so, so he said, you know, essentially, why do you hate me? Really our experience in global village living as house parents on a college campus and meeting people from around the world and watching them deal with these questions of dating people that aren't from their home country and what that might mean to the folks, you know, or, or finding a new religion. Those are really important things. Knox showed us when we were in Hong Kong, she, Oh, she showed us an app. We were having, we were having, I don't know, something like you know, her we dowry, right? How much she, she you can calculate it. So she, you know, she gets a grad degree, and then she 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 entered all the stuff, and she goes, and so so some some of the guys at the college would say, hey, you know, hey, Knox, you know, uh, I want to marry you. Yeah, you know, She's like, oh, she we'll says, be prepared. That's fine, but this is what it's going to cost, and she calculated out, you know, three cows, and you I know, think whatever. it's a lot more than three, but yes, several well, I mean, different... there was a, there was a list of things. It, it was basically a whole farm because <laughs> <laughs> she's that valuable with yes, all her education. Yes. I think. <laughs> now I got to say that put a smile on my face. So I'm not going to criticize other cultures' ways of being, but Jesus does kind of criticize all of our cultures to the extent that we don't treat people with autonomy. Yeah. I mean, whether he's criticizing him or not, he's 
open in little cages. Fly right. away, little birdie. Yeah. You know, this is what he's saying. So anyway, what I'm saying about this is, is that um, that practice of going to dad and asking for a hand in marriage, I think needs to be abolished in the Christian um, community. But I don't think that there should be nothing like it. I think what should happen is, um, you know, uh, a, p- a potential spouse going to sit down with the, the parents and say, I, I love your daughter, you know, and maybe it goes the other way, mm-hmm. right? But you're, you're going to sit down with them and say, I value our relationship. Mm-hmm. Partly, I think, this creates uh, an empowerment too within the new couple. And if there's a problem, it's good to know. Yes, right? there's if a the, lot if of. They co- are, if the parents are going to be against yeah. the marriage, I mean, that's a whole different. You know, that's a whole world, a lifetime of could be pain um, if, we, if yeah. the families don't agree that this match should happen. Because I mean, there, I mean, that will affect the rest of your life. All of your holiday visits, uh, even when it comes to your children, like you know, raising your kids. There's just so many things that it's going to impact when and so I. Definitely, if if your parents aren't going to bless a marriage, you um, take it seriously. Take that very seriously, and realize that you probably, in some ways, kind of need to go at it alone. Essentially, without them being that involved, or else they will probably constantly be a, a detriment, you know, mm. harmful to your relationship. Toxic. Probably. They can be, or there's dear listener. Let me speak straight to you. It's possible that you're in a horrendous relationship that this is a self-destructive relationship that's bad for you and your parents can see it. Mm -hmm. So there's a chance that your parents are your best friend in this one and you don't want to hear it. Yeah, that's true. But they know that you're suffering. They know that this person's bad for you. So what we're saying is not that you shouldn't seek wisdom. You should seek advice. Don't seek permission. That's all I'm saying. Get advice, not permission. What does this do? This actually gets you on a a really good relationship now. Now when you go off and get married, now your relationship when you go to Thanksgiving is going to be adult to adult. Hey there, I respect you. I want to marry your daughter. I want to know if we have your blessing because that's very important to me. Mm -hmm. Family is very important to me. You, because you are the parents of the woman I love, are very important to me. I'm not asking for your permission. You don't have to say that part. But you're saying, I would very much value your blessing. Yeah. That's step one. Step two, if that is a yes, then at the wedding, I would prefer instead of having, you know, the Doing handoff. The hand, yeah. yeah. Um, and I even think, fine, you know, have your dad there It's it's if it's nostalgic and mom waits up at front just because she doesn't need to be doing all the walking. That's great. If that makes you happy. If you want both of your parents to come down, that's great, right? However you want to do this, that's how you do it. But what I would love to see is, let's say the, the bride and the groom, the couple both have um, their parents together or not, but they're all, you know, so let's just say they're together. You could have two sets of parents come forward and then the priest, the minister, the pastor, the officiant will say, I would prefer, they, they would say, who comes here to bless and support this union. And then we do, is the answer from the parents. That puts them on, that puts them on notice that this is a young adult, Mm -hmm. or an older adult, right? But this, this is, these are autonomous adults that have their own family now, and that the role of now the parents is to, to support and encourage and to give wisdom. Yeah. Not to, 
metal. (laughs) Now, with all of this, I also want to say this. I mean, as much as you might be hating your parents or religious leaders or that kind of thing, um, Jesus even says... Even your own life, and and I think that that doesn't so that doesn't mean we selfishly then go about life, right? No, we well even we'll sometimes put aside our own needs when we need to to care for other people to serve other people. Uh, so I think that's an important point as well because again, we're not saying you run amok, just mm-hmm. you know that there's lawlessness or whatever yeah. that we just you know disregard all authority of any kind, right? And the actual teaching also is that. You're supposed to even hate your own brothers and sisters and your children. Yeah. What it's about then is, if we're beating a dead horse, it's important. It's it's about these cultural ties that sometimes cause us not to do the thing that we think we should do. Yeah. That's all. And one other thing um, about this is, to expand a little further, is is this is sort of... A, a way for us to think of who is our true family and redefining who our true family is, you know, when we are amongst believers. So there's the part in Matthew, it's Matthew 12 verses 46 through 50, where that's where Jesus challenges the traditional, you know, family obligations when his mom, Mary and his brothers are, you know, coming, he's teaching amongst the big crowd, right? The disciples want to put them up front and, you know, we'll give him special treatment or whatever. And, and he says, no, he says in um, verse 48, who are my mother and who are my brothers? And then he said, he looked, he pointed to those that he was teaching. And, and then in verse 49, he says, uh, here is my true family. And so I think that this is an invitation to consider that the true, the true church, the true body of believers, right? The mm-hmm. followers of Christ, that's your family. Mm-hmm. And, and the true followers of Christ, not the cult that you joined that <laughs> right, has right. The, the brand that has a cross on it or a dove or a fish, right? Not, but the actual followers of the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's our family. That's right. our people. And it, so it then kind of invites us to, you know, stop looking. Sometimes we're tempted to give preferential treatment even to our own immediate family members and things like that. Yeah. It's called nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> Something us Lutherans. <laughs> we we do. Well, we're all kind of related sometimes. You know, there's a do lot of well, like yeah. a lot of German families. That's true. But but yeah, that that now consider the needs of the entire body of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. The the true body of Christ. Also, um, and we've mentioned this a little bit, but it it just in case that it's definitely bigger than just your parents, and it's. The, so it's the whole way we relate to each other. And it's Jesus is talking about being outside of a whole different system. It's one inviting us to be a part of mutual gift giving mm-hmm. rather than obligations or transactions, right? Yeah. And, and that's just a whole different way to think about how we do life, right? It's, if you can get this, it'll set you free, friends. That life where you're living in just this constant list of obligations, you got to come over. I'm your sister. You've got to, this, this obligation, mm-hmm. just because I'm related to somebody by blood, even if they're bad for us, even if they're toxic for us. I think that when we were traveling around the country, one of the things that put a smile on my face were communities of outcasts. When we would get to, you know, especially when we were in some areas that might have been kind of a little stuffy, a little fundamentalist, a little uptight uh, for my uh, Southern California uh, freakishness. In your Oaxacan pants? My Oaxacan pants. 
<laughs> I would enjoy going into cities that were college towns because I knew that there was going to be kind of a, a little bit more relaxed mm-hmm. ambiance. There mm-hmm. were going to be different people from different perspectives. And I really value diversity, not just because I'm supposed to, not because it's woke, but because it makes me breathe deeper. Um, knowing that we're not all clones of each other and that I can, I can explore um, different insights from people from different backgrounds and different perspectives. I don't have to agree with them. But the fact that we're in, a say, a pub and there's people that look different and are different and have different values and they're all allowed to be in the same place, that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. That's what the church is supposed to look like. Not because, again, not because you want to look, well, we got to make sure we're diverse so that people don't look down on our church. No. Even that is its own. Not being diverse as a church is a problem, not because people will think it's a problem, but because it is a problem. Who are you not connecting with? Why aren't you connecting with those people? Are you deceiving yourself because you're just in your little clique, your little clan, and you don't realize all these things? It's kind of like C.S. Lewis wrote this important essay on why we should read old books. And he says, the people in the past had a bunch of stupid ideas and uh, they might've been wicked in other areas that we couldn't even tolerate. You know, this person said something interesting about politics, but they also, you know, believe in slavery. Luther had a great insight about uh, unconditional love and grace of God, said some terrible things about the Jews. So what do you do? You know, well, the first thing is you got to hate Luther. If you're a Lutheran, you've got to hate your pastor. You've got to hate your youth pastor. You've got to hate your, your uh, history professor in the way that Jesus is talking about. You have to be – to expand this, not just – and you don't have to or else you're going to get spanked. I'm just saying this is how you're going to find peace. This is how you're going to travel down the road um, of discipleship. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to say all of those social ties, if they're getting in the way of the good news, of the new logic of love that Jesus is bringing, then um, reject them. Yeah. Well, and and I think it's when you make those decisions to be a part of something that before had been an obligation, yeah. but now you're freely doing it. Now you're doing it from a whole different vantage point, one that really does come from love and you wanting to be there. And there's a big difference between somebody that thinks they have to be somewhere versus somebody that wants to be somewhere yeah. or do something. And I think that, that there's, yeah, there's a... That, uh, that choice, you know, there's that, and, uh, and, and that's where true love can spring from. Otherwise, it's, I think it's stifled. It's ironic and sad that so many times people use uh, the, the kind of threats and obligations to get love from family members. Come on out to Christmas. Yeah, you know? but that's not love. And then people want to not come. Yeah. But when you kind of release mm-hmm. and in, invite and provide this kind of joyful freedom, people want to kind of be there because yeah. that's a groovy place to be. It's a place you want to hang out. And if not... So be it. But you're not getting yourself anywhere by forcing yourself, you know, forcing your family members to love you in a, in a, a sense of obligation without having that genuine relationship. It's hollow. Mm-hmm. Another point that comes out with this text, and we've talked about, like, what if the, the devil steals your logo, right? So, because yeah. like, sometimes, you know, what we maybe celebrate or think all of a sudden has a like in society might have a different connotation, right? And yeah. you Well, it's happened to Christianity. There were people getting tortured because they weren't on the right, you know, medieval Roman papal track. Mm-hmm. That's 
to me by definition of an F in Jesusville, right? Yeah. Like in the in the um, uh, thinking that your main job in society as a Christian is to make f- people feel crummy, um, as opposed to telling them why they're already in a living hell. Yeah. Um, the the idea that Christianity is about saddling up alongside wealth, extraordinary wealth and power and glory and celebrity. Get an F. F, F, F. You're failing Christianity. So what's going on? Well, from Constantine, then to Charlemagne, down to, you know, the latest sycophant televangelist, um, people get addicted to power. And what happens when what we call Christianity in a society is the exact opposite? Well, then what I would say is a lot of young people I know who don't really know the teachings of Jesus, but they know people that have the logo logo, of Jesus. They have the lapel pin or they have their Bible in hand. What they're selling, if it's not the gospel and these people reject it, I high five them because just because it's called Christianity Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you should buy it. And sometimes when people reject it, they're doing what they should do. That's exactly what they should reject. Now, hopefully they'll look into it deeper and find as we have. Jesus has got some really groovy things to say, some life-changing things to say like this, right? right? But if no, if the devil steals your logo, get a a new logo. Here's another example, and this might hit home to some of our listeners even, but if you are um, a pastor or a priest and you wear a collar, that actually could, if you're in certain circles and people have been traumatized perhaps in the church, that could bring up some very negative uh, trigger type feelings for mm-hmm. them, and you might want to be careful if you are going to be around a, you know certain groups mm-hmm. or whatever that that could be an issue. And nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to wear a collar, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if maybe you need to change your outfit in that space, in that space, just to protect those people, so that they can hear the message that you actually are, are telling them, rather than them just having to deal with the emotional and psychological effects of you know the trauma that they've had. Now, I want to be very clear on this. You know, um, this this goes several ways. Um, our uh, delightful friend uh, Abbot Trifon would uh, say that sometimes when he is hanging out with monks from the Roman Catholic tradition, he's East Trifon site. Orthodox. Mm-hmm. When he's hanging out with uh, Catholic monks, for instance, he's an Orthodox monk. He will be, he'll be wearing something that makes it very clear that he's a monk. Got the big old black hat. <laughs> it's very cross. clear. You he, see him, and he's got his long beard. I mean, he just doesn't look uh, like he definitely doesn't fit into normal society. Like an odd kind of uh, goth Santa Claus, you know. Um, <laughs> but but when he does this, <laughs> odd God. <laughs> But when he does this, sometimes he'll be walking, and then the monk who's wearing plain street clothes will be standing next to him, and then somebody will come up and just cry yeah. and say, I'm, I'm suffering through all this. I need comfort. I need help. Mm-hmm. And so Trifon will just be walking through Seattle, and he'll be praying with people all day long, whereas the monk who's not wearing those clothes right. don't have, don't have, have that it. same So we're not saying that we sh- you should always be low church. In fact, you know... I love me. I love me some incense. Mm-hmm. I love me some uh, some compline service. Yeah, I'm, night. I, yeah, I'm just or trying to church. say that if there's some somehow if what you're trying to convey, or is the, there's something you're wearing or doing or whatever that can mm-hmm. be a trigger for somebody else, we should be conscious of that and be willing to walk away from it when, when it's not something that is the 
integral message of the gospel, mm-hmm. right? Or, I said at a talk. Yeah, I said at a talk a while back. I said, now, if imagine if you are somebody who is high church, you enjoy, you know, you think it's important to wear the collar. And I, again, I might normally agree with you, but if you're dealing with a, a large population of people, I think let's say you're an Episcopal priest or a Lutheran pastor who's wearing a collar. And you're amongst a population that has, let's say, a good number of people that had been abused by Catholic priests. Mm-hmm. Then the imagery, the association between the caller and their lives is a negative one. Yeah. Now, just going to go with this. Again, I'm not, we're not, we don't care what you wear as much. What we're saying is, are you willing to ditch it? Yeah. That's the question at hand for this text. And if you're not, why not? Yeah. The part of you that, refuses to give up the tradition for the sake of the children is the part that needs to be drowned in baptism. The part of you that says, I know that everybody hates the way we're doing this, but we've always done it this way. Right. If it's getting in the way of the good news and healing, you need to abandon it. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is using, to some extent, I was saying before that it could mean love less, but he also often will use very strong language. Jesus uses hyperbole, that is extreme language, um, uh, exaggeration even, so that people know that they don't have to wonder if they've balanced it enough. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's like saying, if your parents are physically abusive, screw them. Mm -hmm. That's what Jesus is saying. I mean, in a sense, right? And why would you say that? If, some, if a student comes to me and says that their parents are being physically abusive, I say, get out of there. Right. We're going to deal with this. And we go through, you know, whatever, care protocols. And usually there's adults now by the time they come to my classes. But I'm saying, in the strongest words sometimes, things, I might even cuss with them. Mm-hmm. You know? I might say, I might cuss with them so that they realize that their professor, who is a Christian, is not, is not just you know, maybe okay with them getting out of the situation, but I am strongly advocating right, for it, right? right? And that's what Jesus is doing. Now, the logo thing's one thing. Another thing we'd like to say in relation to this is you can't put a logo on the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You cannot copyright the Bible. Right. Um, you know, you can copyright your own translation of it, but you can't copyright the Bible. God is in the public domain. Yes. God is in the public domain. I mean, this is the one reason, one of the main reasons, I like to be a Protestant. Protestant's cool, even though I think the Catholics have better aesthetic very often, uh, more beauty. Mm-hmm, you know, I appreciate mm-hmm. it. I appreciate the antiquity, the tradition, the music. Here's the problem. And often they're buildings. I refuse, I refuse to think that Jesus ever taught that we needed to go through an intermediary in the sense of needing to. And this is coming up right now as a lot of people are having to live stream church. Yeah. They're having to ask themselves a question that we've been asking for a long time. Do you need church? Mm-hmm. Do you need your pastor? Of course you do. Just like you need, you know, like love in a, in a square meal, mm-hmm. you know, um, in the sense of a church, right? You need wise counsel. You need, you need comfort. You need teaching. I mean, these are things that you would need, but you don't need it absolutely as if you're going to lose out on God's love. You don't go to church. You don't sit in the pew long enough. How many hours do I have to sit in the pew before God's going to... Right. You know, f- affirm that I can have a week off mm-hmm. or I can be loved. This coronavirus is teaching us right now that the church is sometimes about being the church. Mm-hmm. And this is the time to be the church. Right. And, and not do church only. Yes, right. Be right. Or pr- pr- pretend like play one on TV, play church on TV or something right. like that. Well, and I, and I think, you know, and here's another thing. This is a very timely message because 
there are, I mean, we've seen some pastors that are continuing to hold services with larger group gatherings, but if you're in the position where you... kind of guilt people into it. Yeah, and if you feel uncomfortable doing that, I think you should listen to that. I mean, you're you're never going to forgive yourself if if something happens when you don't. You should forgive yourself, but, <laughs> but you're being, yeah. being kind of silly. It'll be hard to once you, you know, I know I shouldn't have or whatever. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if you feel that you should go and meet, then go and meet. Like, yeah. this is a point where you should exercise what you think you should do, you know, that God isn't going to punish you or not forgive you for maybe even disregarding what your pastor says in relation to going to church in a time like Mm -hmm. this, right? If you're doing something because you're afraid of just social scorn, Mm -hmm. hate that. And another thing too, that unfortunately sometimes some people are saying, with communion, that you that that the virus is immune to communion. Are people saying this? There is some people. All right, protect your noggin, friends. <laughs> <laughs> that's just not science, no, right? No. That's not that's not true. Some of y'all have grape juice and crackers. The nice thing about being a Lutheran is we get a nice, you know, right. port sometimes. Port fortified. Nonetheless, I'm not sure the wipey wipe of the uh, you know of the cloth is necessarily what I'm what I'm going to rest on during this this, this time, time. You know, right? but again, yeah. make your own decision yeah. regarding that. Don't let other people tell you what you should or shouldn't do. If you feel uncomfortable with something, then you know respectfully decline. One other thing too, I want to mention because this is a time again I, we're kind of in a, a unique point in history where we also have a. We can make, we can, I don't know, provide an example to the rest of the world. Somebody very close to me, she works at a church-related preschool, and her church, they decided, and I think they just recently closed down, but they decided to keep open longer when, especially when uh, California's regulations weren't as um, tight as what they are right now for sheltering at home or whatever they're calling it or quarantining, shelter in place. place. <laughs> but um, but they were going to keep open, and their their point of it was they wanted to continue to collect March tuition from the preschool parents, and so if they officially closed down, they felt like they needed to return at least prorate, you know, the tuition as well as um, they didn't want to have to worry or think about even paying the employees if they told them not to come. So they gave everybody a choice. You can bring your children, um, you can come or not come to work, but you're only going to get paid if you're coming to work and you're still going to have to pay your tuition because it's your choice not to. And I, I, I'm i just sad by that, saddened by that example coming from a church. Um, yeah. is, you know, this is an opportunity to lead the cause. Now, I'm also not naive to... You know, it costs money to run things. They're that, probably worried that the whole thing could shut down if right. they don't have two weeks of tuition. Right. Sure. So, also, I mean, there isn't the opportunity too to, you know, ask parents if you are able to still pay. If we really could use, we, you know, it's yeah, our donations. Still cost. Can you keep donate? Us, keep us alive. You know, uh, maybe there are other members right. in the congregation that have more disposable income that they could kind of throw in a little bit mm-hmm. of an extra bump to help mm-hmm. the preschool get through. But I think that to me, it just sounds. Oh, it just is such a terrible example coming from a church yeah. to try to, you know, keep people's money or put people, I don't know, in certain put, uncomfortable well, situations. Put before yeah. That's well, and that's, and that's the other thing really fast I want to point out. We kind of went over a little quickly, but uh, just as a reminder, in how to avoid manipulation, because that's one of the things that we are talking about here in our um, podcast, in you know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. 
but one of those is, you know, again, when are we putting, you know, the group or, you know, something other, you know, above the individuals, right? So avoiding that manipulation would be when you notice that this is happening, that, that you're hearing that the group matters more than your, even your own individual safety or what you, you know, like what you should do mm. when they put more value on what it is that you're trying to be rather than the individual participants, mm. then that's a bad sign that, mm. you know, we've, we've talked about this in other podcasts, but that, just as a reminder here, uh, that the hating and, and this your is parents, talking about the, the group, right? So, so it's perfectly reasonable to say for the sake of, society at large maybe don't go to spring break this year right okay? no i'm talking about you the, know pastor so-and-so did right. a bad thing but we aren't going to right. do anything about it or it's going to be bad for the city for mm-hmm. us to have church but if we don't have church we might not get the donations coming in that sort of thing yeah, yeah. those are the things that's careful to look out for that but then also and we mentioned this the the chain of command type language but when you're church relies heavily on this authority structure that where maybe there you got maybe Jesus on top, then the husbands, then the mothers, and then the children, just make sure that it, they're not using that authority structure to then control, manipulate um, the people that are lower or weaker down on that whole chain. And I would say that the higher up you are finding yourself in that chain, it is your responsibility to look out for those that are underneath. Mm. And when it's unhealthy, you need to be willing to speak up and get out of that situation. Or Yeah, there are, there are roles that people have where you've got responsibilities as you mature and you gain experience, but um, they're not absolute, these, mm. these lines. And they really, I don't think, should be emphasized as much as they are in... And nor should you Christian give your, your authority when you know better as, uh, say, you know, a, one of the parents or whatever over to, say, a religious leader as being to take precedent over what you feel that you should be doing or not doing. Right. Um, we, maybe can we go through a couple of the questions yeah. that we've asked? Some, some yep. of them we'll answer ourselves, but maybe I think it's important just to reflect on some of these too, so we may not answer all of them. As I we think see the it, questions but... in this chapter are really the whole reason we did the study. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we want to get you to this chapter and ask these questions. So, yeah, so look the, at a couple of them. The, this first one says, "If you plan to get married and/or have children in the future, what aspects of your own upbringing do you plan to avoid when you become a parent?" And this one, I actually do want to answer. We're already married, but. In a very real, um, as a very real thing that happened to me when we first had um, our, our first child, right? I made it pretty clear to my parents that we didn't want to spank our children, which wasn't something that, that you know, back in the time when I was raised, that was a very common thing that happened in a lot of households that I knew of, as well as my own. And I knew I didn't want to do that to my children. It was, it definitely um wasn't accepted very, uh, very well from my parents. They kind of made fun of us. You know, they, they basically, you know, at the time, and again, this was again, going against the norm. Like nowadays, right. I think people don't do that as much anymore. Or They at least oh, wouldn't shame us. <laughs> yeah, certainly wouldn't, spanking. right? Um, but I even remember my dad at one point saying that our children were going to be spoiled and just totally unruly, which 
I don't, I mean, that is not the case whatsoever. They with do look kids. a little bit like hippies <laughs> and they make their own decisions about religion and where they're going to go to college. But they will never just flat out disobey us no. when they know that we're after their own good, right? They won't always do what no. we no. <laughs> want them Very to Very rarely. We, they, we can't tell them exactly what <laughs> to do. Aiden can't, won't go to yoga for sure, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. We've bribed him. We've threatened him. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. But he's, he's also, he's also not him. going to break a rule that he shouldn't break that would cause him harm, you know? His ethical conscience, his ethical um, compass is one that he's looking at yeah. as opposed to relying on somebody else. And then when that goes off or is not working for his own interest, well, then um, then he's lost. Right. And so the one good thing is we may disagree. They may have tough days, but they're not lost. And I'll tell you this, friends, you want to do yourself a favor in your marriage or in your relationships, get the ghost of your in-laws out of your parenting. That <laughs> is got to be one of the number one for both, yeah, of both. stress. Both families, right? That's the, right. In law. That's so right. Come up this with is this, how it's done. Yeah, come up with a parenting plan that works for you as a couple, as you, starting your own family. And, right. Um, yeah, be willing to shed some of the especially unhealthy behaviors of your, your past traditions or family. Yep. Um, and come up with your own. I yeah, mean, like, right, it's that's not what I'm your saying. own own, but, like, just establish these things. What is it? Talk about it. Yeah. Come up with a plan. And I think that... I bring up the spanking thing too because that's something I've seen in my lifetime drastically change from where something that was considered pretty acceptable in society became way less acceptable, if not completely unacceptable in certain in certain uh, areas. And so I think, you know, I I bring that up because there might be other areas in your life that right now it, you're going out on a limb, but you might be embarrassed for not sticking up for what you believed in because in the future, you know, the thing that you thought you should do is what becomes the norm perhaps. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the next question says, what if after serious spiritual reflection and study, you came to the conclusion that your favorite religious teacher or mentor mentor was wrong about an important topic? Could you bring yourself to contradict them? Could you bear the emotional pain of leaving his or her circles if necessary? Yeah, it's a really tough one. And it's it's been it's been difficult for Western culture. It's difficult for all cultures. But I, let's just look at it in terms of Christianity for a second. There was a time when people were wondering, you know, is Christianity credible? And along come people like Clement of Alexandria and Augustine, who find a way to show how Greek philosophy, specifically Platonism, Neoplatonism are compatible with and actually help get people towards Christianity. And that becomes the norm. And eventually, Plato becomes the philosopher mm. for Christians. Mm -hmm. Then, skip forward a few centuries, there's the Crusades. Aristotle had been lost. Aristotle is rediscovered largely through these Arabic translations that they find as they go to the Holy Land in, in the Crusades, the Europeans. And then they bring back Aristotle, and all of a sudden, oh no, we, we're, our faith is challenged because we've got Aristotle, and Aristotle seems to conflict with biblical Christianity. A guy named Thomas Aquinas comes along. He shows how Aristotle can get you over to Christianity. And now it shifts so that all good Christians think of the philosopher as Aristotle. Mm -hmm. Aristotle is actually called the philosopher. And, uh, and Thomism, 
his version of it becomes dominant. And when you get to the humanists of the Renaissance, you get a guy named Petrarch, and he's got an interesting take on this, where he, Petrarch is famous, he's a poet, and he loves learning, but he doesn't really care about the academic stuff that's going on. And some friends come to him and they say, you know, you're not that smart. Because, why? Because you're contradicting Aristotle. Mm. So now, to be a good Christian is to to do this. And he says basically that you should not really read so much Aristotle. And the reason he says this is because, not because Aristotle makes more mistakes than most people, but because Aristotle was too dominant in his own day. Martin Luther says something similar. He says you can't be a true Christian without rejecting Aristotle. But then he still uses Aristotle for the education system, K, K through 12 type, you know, elementary school type uh, thing. So, so part of it is hating your parents could mean rejecting Platonism or rejecting Aristotelianism so that you can clear away some of this stuff that's kind of gunked up the system and get back to Jesus. Later on, we find a way to, you know, even overcome analytic philosophy. There's folks like this. John Wark Montgomery creates an apologetic so that, um, you know, you can get to Christianity through Wittgenstein. But then along comes the folks who are interested in postmodernism. Somebody like, say, J.K.A. Smith, Christian theologian, who says, wait a minute, I'm going to show you how there's some compatibility between some of these French continental philosophers and Christianity. Well, the answer is there's going to be resonance here and there. Mm -hmm. The minute you try to take one of these teachers or authorities as the most important and authoritative in a way that can't be challenged, that's dangerous. That's when you're not protecting your noggin. So, again, you got to hate us. That's what, yeah, I was just going to say that. that, Yeah, yeah, basically, we challenge you, yeah, to hate us, to do your own research, Mm -hmm. to look into this, see what you're, you know, what you think about all of this. Don't just... Just because we're saying it, you know, mm-hmm. don't just take it blindly. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, definitely keep your keep your noggin there and yep. Yep. and do your research, do your homework. You know, uh, so one other question: If the approval of others weren't a factor, would you do something different for a living? <laughs> and I do want to briefly mention this too, because this is something in the um, in my past where at the time when I was going to college that in our circles, it wasn't really considered acceptable um, for for me to be studying psychology, that it wasn't really considered like a real subject that maybe it even, um, you know, put too much emphasis on our, our brain and, and things like that rather than Christ and, you know, and what religion would say or the, well, the Bible had Freud, to offer. And, Freud had said that religion is this kind of wish fulfillment game. It's a neurotic thing that we do. And I guess the other thing was psychology does, you know, lead to questioning some of the the formation of our beliefs. Like, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's dangerous. Psychology is dangerous, right? Well, if you want to tell people how to think. Yeah, it's dangerous if you want to tell people how to think. That's what I'm saying. All right. <laughs> so anyway, so I... Sorry I, about that. I didn't feel that I could pursue psychology. So after I was done with my general ed, I really didn't know what to do because that's where my passion was. Mm -hmm. And so then, and then we ended up having kids and that kind of got in the way of everything, but I didn't even finish my degree until just, well, I guess it's now 10 years ago, which is still (laughs) a long time, but 
I was, it was after my felt kids like were, really were old, yeah. already grown and yeah. yeah and I well, and I felt old compared to all my classmates. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's what I mean. Not like old, old. You feel <laughs> yeah. like young. But right. I'm saying like, like, wow, like going back to school, right. baby, you know? And I think I would have actually liked to have pursued clinical psychology, but I mm. didn't even, I got my psycho- the degree, my undergrad in psychology, but I didn't because even just thinking about all of the other parts that would go so that you I could practice. You didn't do the practice. grad work. Yeah. Be a then, lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of clinical hours, and, and then you'd be I ready to retire. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be in the workforce long enough to really probably make it worth it when it came down to it. So I figured that that probably wouldn't be a good option for me. But that was, you know, it's a missed opportunity in my life that I wished I could have done differently. And anyway, I'm happy with where I am now, so mm. it's all okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it could have been easier yeah. in some ways. And it, and it would have been, at least in a pragmatic sense, uh, convenient for you to have just gotten right to business with the thing you needed to do. Yeah, absolutely. There's a last one, actually. Don't you have one there more? There is one more. And I don't know that we'll necessarily answer this one, but it says, are you pursuing... It's just something really important, I think, to Why think about. Why don't we about. leave the listener with this? Yeah, we'll leave it. <laughs> it says, are you pursuing or doing something to prove to the world or to your parents, whether they're living or dead, that you are a success? Could you let go of this need? Could you change your life path to pursue something you are passionate about rather than fulfilling others' expectations of you? If not, what is holding you back? That's it, friends. What's holding you back? The reason we're doing this isn't to dismantle things that you love, but it's to unhinge the cage doors sometimes. Right. So that you can be real with yourself and that you can shed toxic toxic things, toxic people. Toxic and, hierarchies. Yes. Authoritarianism. All, all in an effort to really experience the deep love of Christ, and find peace upon peace. Uh, Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.